North Korea can hit most of the United States, say U.S. officials. The U.S. has detected highly unusual levels of submarine activity by North Korea. Mike Pence says, all options on the table for North Korea. North Korean ICBM test, longest in the history of the regime. U.S. military set to test a new missile as early as tomorrow in response to North Korea. Sebastian Gorka on North Korea. This is a results-driven presidency. That's ominous. We are now on the threshold of a real national security crisis with North Korea. Surprisingly not fake news from Andrea Mitchell. According to a Pentagon assessment, after decades of international negligence, the regime led by Tin Pot dictator and Dennis Rodman admirer Kim Jong-un may now launch an attack not only on Hawaii and Alaska, but also on the continental United States. Thank goodness the mainstream media are diligently focused on President Trump's third cousin twice removed who once ate borscht in the 1990s. Plus, we'll be joined by a truly deplorable panel of roaming millennial Amanda Prestigiacomo and Zoe Rachel to discuss the left's Tommy Lauren hypocrisy, a professor of Beyonce studies. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a real, it's a real thing. And, uh, and a professor who was, who was uh, uh, fired for the mere act of threatening to shoot the president and a new study that shows Americans don't want their doctors to kill them for some reason. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Report. Uh, this comes from an unnamed Pentagon official, but uh, analysts are taking it very seriously. They say that, that what they're seeing is highly unusual. Uh, it does seem to be the consensus. There's some debate over whether or not North Korea can strike the U.S. mainland, but there seems to be some consensus that it, that it looks like they can, although it's unclear what those weapons would do once they re-enter and, and attempt to strike the mainland. Forget about those experts. Let's look live at our, our live feed camera from Pyongyang. Do we have that? Hans Briggs? Oh, no! Oh, hello! Great to see you again, Hans! Mr. Ill, I was supposed to be allowed to inspect your palace today, and your guards won't let me into certain areas. Hans, Hans, Hans! We've been through this a dozen times! I don't have any weapons of mass destruction, okay, Hans? Then let me look around so I can ease the UN's collective mind. Hans, you're breaking my bars here, Hans! You're breaking my bars! I'm sorry, but the UN must be firm with you. Let me see your whole palace, or else. Or else what? <laughs> or else we will be very, very angry with you. And we will write you a letter telling you how angry we are. That, is Hans Blix still around, or is that, that might be old footage. I don't know if that's actually coming to us live from Pyongyang. But th that has been the policy of the United Nations and all the nations in the region and the world for the past 25 years. They say, if North Korea, if you don't comply with our nuclear requirements, we are, we're going to be very angry. We are, we're going to have the sanctions that are already in place. We are going to put pressure on you. Now, this is not just the opinion of, of Kim Jong-il in that clip or uh, Kim Jong-un or Hans Blix or the international community. This is also the opinion of left-wing favorite Jill Stein. We're hurting here the position of the South Korean people who've been very clear that what they want, they are tired of war, they even have a peace treaty. The Korean War is still on. There's an armistice, but the people of the Korean Peninsula, and especially in South Korea, have lived under the threat of war for decades now. They're really tired of it. They would like to move ahead yeah. by negotiating a peace treaty. And, you know, the, the, the uh, demonization of North Korea is part of the run-up to regime change. We saw 
it in uh, Iraq, we saw it in Libya. It's part of demonizing a government that we then want to uh, exercise regime change on. And then what do we get? You know, look at our track record here. It's not so good. The demonization of North Korea. Marshall, can you can you demonize a demon? Is it possible? To, is the, are they like a devil demon? Can you demonize Moloch? I don't know, but possibly you can. I'm not sure which is more cartoonish, the marionette Kim Jong-il or the 2016 Green Party candidate for president. I, I'm not sure. Please go on. Again, it's the North Koreans who've added the provocation in launching missiles and, and testing. <laughs> well, could. But, but remember where that came from. Long before they began their missile tests, the U.S. was conducting nuclear uh, bombing runs against North Korea. We actually had nuclear weapons uh, until uh, the end of the Cold War. We actually had nuclear what? weapons stationed in South Korea. So this is very frightening to them. They've been basically cornered into feeling what? like they have to develop a nuclear weapon. Uh, you know, a lot of people donated to her and gave her money. That's true. I think she went to Harvard, too, which probably probably explains it all. Uh, so th that's true. We, we have been maintaining the world order now, even during this crisis that's gone on for decades. And we have not fired on the Kim regime. We didn't take out the, the grandfather, the founder, Kim Il-sung. We didn't take out Kim Jong-il in the 90s. And we haven't taken out Kim Jong-un who is now the leader of North Korea. And, and we've punted on this through three different presidential administrations, for some good reasons, for some bad reasons. First up, when this became an issue, was Bill Clinton, the luckiest man in the world, devil protects his own. Uh, Bill Clinton was very lucky. He came at a time after the fall of the Soviet Union, which had been propping up the, the Kim regime in North Korea. He came at a time when Kim Il-sung, the sun king of North Korea, died. So that instituted a, a period of three years of mourning. Kim Jong-il had to protect against possible coups. He even had, a, there was this natural disaster, a major flood in North Korea, which caused a famine. It just didn't seem like a big issue at the time, and Bill Clinton was not focused on foreign policy. Then uh, George W. Bush, was not as lucky as Bill Clinton. He he walked in right into 9/11. He was fighting two wars in the Middle East that were caught, that were a reaction to 9/11. And uh, and on, in 2006, Kim Jong Il detonated the first nuclear weapon that the regime had ever detonated. So they saw that not only were they seeking these weapons, but they they finally had attained them. Now, unfortunately, President Bush was busy fighting other wars. He didn't turn his attention to North Korea in any really meaningful way other than the sanctions. And then came Barack Obama, who also did nothing about North Korea because he's a terrible president. <laughs> There's, there are no excuses, really, that Barack Obama could rely on. He, uh, you know, totalitarian leaders have this amazing gift for duping the American left. They, they, I don't know, they work some magic or some charm on them, and uh, that's, what, that's what Kim Jong-il did. Do we have, do we have a cut of, uh, of Kim Jong-il working his charm on the left? I I guess, our, I guess our live feed is cutting out, our live feed from Pyongyang. Maybe the regime found it. Maybe this is news that the war is starting. Hopefully not. Stay tuned. Uh, you know, they've, they've always been able to do this from, uh, from Stalin onward. And because the left says we need to focus on problems here. We need to focus on global warming. We need to focus on education. We need to focus on the social, social welfare system. And they, they aren't too concerned with the international order. So Barack Obama was elected to wind down those wars in the Middle East. He easily could have turned his attention to the Pacific, which I think he intimated he would during the 2008 campaign. 
Instead, Barack Obama instituted a policy called, it's called strategic patience, which is an incredible euphemism. Of all of Barack Obama's euphemisms, strategic patience was great. Uh, similar to leading from behind or tactically can kicking. Tactical can kicking was a, was a favorite of Barack Obama's. But what did it get us? It got us more uh, major missile tests. It got an American high school student kidnapped and killed by the Kim regime. So now Donald Trump has two terrible options military option now that they have significant nuclear capabilities or more sanctions and economic incentives. For the military choice, as ever, here is Lindsey Graham. There is What's a military a option to destroy North Korea's program and North Korea itself. He's not going to allow President Trump the ability of this madman to have a missile to hit America. If there's going to be a war to stop him, it will be over there. If thousands die, they're going to die over there. They're not going to die here. And he's told me that to my face. And that may be provocative, but not really. When you're a president of the United States, where's your allegiance lie? To the people of the United States, this man, Kim Jong-un, is threatening America with a nuclear tip missile. President Trump doesn't want a war. The Chinese can stop this, but to China, South Korea, and Japan, Donald Trump is not going to allow this missile threat Just to, to be mature. Clear, I now, that's tough talk from Lindsey Graham, who, in fairness, I don't know that Lindsey Graham has ever seen a war he didn't like. <laughs> he's, he's definitely been much more hawkish from the neoconservative wing of the party. But here, Lindsey, Senator Graham's view lines up with that of General Douglas MacArthur. During the Korean War, General MacArthur, 1951, he wanted to push into North Korea. He wanted to keep this going and have an absolute victory to fight international communism, particularly on the peninsula. Uh, President Truman d disagreed with this. He wanted to keep that war very limited. They got into uh, a tete-a-tete -tete about this. It seemed as though perhaps General MacArthur was undermining uh, Truman's initiatives. And I'm not totally sure about this. We do have a video clip of the message that General MacArthur issued in 1951. Can we pull it up? Get off my lawn. Listen, old man, you don't want to f with me. Did you hear me? I said get off my lawn now. Crazy? Go back in the house. Yeah, I blow a hole in your face and then I go in the house and I sleep like a baby. You can count on that. We used to stack f like you five feet high in Korea. Use you for sandbags. Maybe that's a reenactment. I'm not sure. Also, great job bleeping the one, <laughs> one of ten swear words in that clip to uh, Marshall, great producer. We, <laughs> but in any case, Truman refused. Truman refused uh, uh, MacArthur's demands, which you heard in that clip, beautifully played by Clint Eastwood. And so the DMZ, the Demilitarized Zone, was set up along the 38th parallel. North and South Korea were firmly established, and the war came to an armistice. Now, perhaps 65 years later, we will uh, pursue what General MacArthur uh, advocated, possibly too little too late. The other alternative are economic incentives and economic sanctions. It's not very clear, though, that these will uh, work. North Korean economy of late has been growing fairly well, between 1% and 5% uh, economic growth. Uh, most estimates have it around 4%. Uh, the reason for this is uh, somewhat complicated. China buys 99% of North Korea's coal exports. North Korea literally ships its people out of the country to work as slaves in, in other countries. Gets about a billion dollars a year for that. And the North Korean regime still has access to a lot of the international banking system. So what is President Trump going to do? Our leader. We have uh, some interesting situations that will handle North Korea, Middle East, lots of uh, 
uh, problems that we inherited from previous administrations, but we'll take care of them. We'll take care of them very well. We'll handle North Korea. We're going to be able to handle them. It'll be, uh, it will be handled. We handle everything. We handle everything. What's all, the, what's all the fuss about? We are going to handle it. Great talk from President Trump. With that, let's bring in our panel. We have, from the YouTubes, the brainy, the beautiful, roaming millennial is with us. Uh, from the Daily Wire, we have the also brainy and beautiful Amanda Prestigiacomo. And then from everywhere else on the internet, we have the probably a little less brainy, definitely much less beautiful, Zoe Rachel. Always good to have him here as well. Amanda, why can't we just kill this guy? He is, he is in a uh, one guy, he's in a third world country, he's very overweight, he has heart problems. Why, why is he still mm -hmm. alive? Uh, we should just put it in the hands of Lindsey Graham, because clearly he, he, wants, <laughs> he wants this, he just wants to obliterate everyone. Um, no measure from Lindsey Graham, of course, but we shouldn't expect any. Um, I mean, it, it's a really touchy situation, but I do actually, I have more... Um, I feel better with President Trump than President Obama, as crazy as that sounds, because nothing, again, just kicked the can down the road. Um, at least President Trump is talking about getting China in there and, uh, you know, cutting out, you know, putting sanctions on them and trying to do something. But, um, yeah, it's a little it's a little crazy right now. And we have Jill Stein, who's insane. And then we have uh, Lindsey Graham, who's also the biggest war hawk there is today. Who would have so thought mild-mannered Lindsey Graham, he's so soft-spoken, he's so genteel, yeah. and he just wants to gun everybody <laughs> down around the world. Yeah. So the Castros, the Kims, the Clintons, why do these terrible families stay in power for so long? What is it about them that we can't wrench them from power? I'm not saying anything until you say that I'm brainy and beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> in the interest of moving on with the show, and also when I speak from the depths of my heart, you are you are both brainy and you are very beautiful, Zoe Rachel. Oh, shut the longings of my heart and my loins, Zoe Rachel. <laughs> you can left out the loins, man. You had me. You had me at hello. Speaking uh, of the no. longings of loins, <laughs> let's talk about the Clintons. <laughs> let's get to the point. Oh, let's. <laughs> I don't know what it is, man. It's uh, for some reason, you know, when you're able to make promises and you're able to accuse other people of being evil, that just goes a long way. Yeah. Empty promises and accusations go a long way. And that's how these people are able to stay in power. That's interesting. Uh, you know, Roaming, the, uh, the Trump administration managed to secure the release of that American high school student, Otto Warmbier. Uh, unfortunately, he died, I think, days later, weeks later. Um, but they, they still managed to secure the release, which President Obama could not. He worked on it for over a year. Uh, it d does this show a good sign for the Trump administration and how he's going to deal with North Korea? Or are we uh, just as bad off as it seems? Well, I think there's definitely a scale here, right? I mean, you can be better than Obama and still not be doing so well so far. But I think in terms of the Trump <laughs> good, administration and their approach to North Korea, I think, honestly, it's the it's the most hopeful I've been in a long time. Um, something that I do wish though, and this is someone who's lived in China, you know, right now I'm in Hong Kong. I think that they have a, the Trump administration, even though they may be great people, good people, some of the best. Uh, I think they're, <laughs> they're not doing a really good job in trying to incentivize China in order to cooperate with their agenda, right? Cause I mean, quite, quite frankly, I think China doesn't have a huge role to play in this, but um, it's not exactly in China's best interest or China's purview right now to a, protect American foreign interests in North Korea. And I think until until the U.S. can see that and can kind of think of a way to maybe carrot and stick situation with China, they're not really going to budge. 
You know, roaming, it's an awfully convenient time for you to be going over to Hong Kong while those missiles start flying over the Pacific here. What do you know? Right. Have you been colluding with the North Koreans or the Russians or the or the Kushners or what what do you know? Yeah, I'm just I'm just getting as far away from the East Coast as I can. I might be coming back, uh, you know, sometime next year, and we'll see how the Electoral College works out in uh, in 2020. That that is the plan. Once once we go up in smoke, then I think Roaming is going to be hosting my show too. You'll have you'll have Ben's show, you'll have Andrew Clavin's show. That that's a great strategy. I should have thought of it myself. Okay, now I know that you want to watch more Roaming Millennial and So Rachel and Amanda Prestigiacomo. But you can't because you're too cheap unless you subscribe to Daily Wire. So go over right now to thedailywire.com. It is $10 a month, very, very little, or $100 a year. You'll get the famed Leftist Tears Tumblr. It's what I drink my delicious salty Leftist Tears out of every day. And you'll get to watch the rest of the panel of deplorables. We're going to be talking about doctor-assisted suicide. We're going to be talking about Tommy Lauren. All of those fun things that you'll only be able to see if you go and subscribe and give me your money. So go over there right now, dailywire.com, and we'll be back with the panel of deplorables. So Tommy Lauren is under fire. She's under fire from the left for alleged hypocrisy. I was over at Politicon over this weekend, and uh, she, did a, she did a debate with Chelsea Handler, and there was this question that came up. Handler said, what do you do for health insurance? And Tommy Lauren said, well, I'm only 24, uh, and so therefore I'm on my father's health insurance plan, because under Obamacare, you get to stay on your parents' plan until you're 71, I think, 71 or 74. They keep changing the, the regulations. <laughs> so now the left is calling her a hypocrite. Amanda, is she a hypocrite? She's using a perk that is available under the law, but she also thinks that perhaps in general it's not a great regulation. Is she a dirty, rotten hypocrite? Well, first of all, the brain power in that room was just <laughs> <laughs> remark. I mean, you're bad. I didn't say it. But I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But but I'm not going to attack Tommy here. It's Tommy Laren, actually, Michael. Um, but uh, <laughs> basically, yeah. you can tell we do a lot of show prep here at the Daily Wire. <laughs> yeah. That's okay, I forgive you. But it, this reminds me of the attack on President Trump when he was uh, basically bashing tax loopholes and then using them. Yeah, no duh, like of course he's going to use them. It, it's, it's such a stupid attack. There are so many things you can go after Tommy Larry on and this is not one of them. Um, like I said, it's just like using the system that they implemented and still being against it doesn't make any sense. To That's me. a great point. They have there's so much material uh, at their disposal, and of course the left yeah. has to shoot themselves in the foot and use the, using the word. Did, I have to ask, uh, uh, Roaming, did who won this debate? Was it is it like the Iran Iraq war? We just hope both lose, or did somebody America come lost. out on top? America lost. Yeah, I well, you know that that's the thing. I'm Tommy Lahren. You know, I don't see Idaho. I with it with her on everything and um, but you know she's I, I think she has a lot of good arguments to be made and you know chelsea handler is a person so you know human dignity <laughs> in that but uh, you know in general when yeah it's a tommy Lahren chelsea handler debate this wasn't any in-depth policy discussion uh there was a lot of but my feelings but my freedom <laughs> right from, from each side so i don't think there were any it, it was about as good as you would have expected it to be and i mean in terms of winners, yeah, I guess it's just what, uh, what, what, what kind of identity politics you like. I don't know, like pro-America, pro-leftism. Yeah, I, 
I don't know. If anyone hasn't watched it yet, I would give it a miss. Watch Ben Shapiro and Chang Yeager. That is where all the action is. That was a great debate. But you guys are a couple of negative Nancys on this. Zoe, do you agree with them? <laughs> do you agree with, with our two female panelists? Oh, you know, you better. <laughs> you know, if you want to get out here safely. Um, listen, <laughs> you know, in, in calling, uh, um, I love the saying that, you know, if uh, liberals didn't have double standards, they wouldn't have any standards at all. You know, so of course they're gonna call Tommy Lahren a hypocrite, but but here's the bigger hypocrisy. You you, you got things like uh, Chelsea Handler, who goes off on a screaming, cursing tirade, and then accuses Donald Trump of whining. And not only that, after her screaming tirade and bragging about who she has sex with, she actually says that he should act more like a president. I'm like, who the crap are you to judge somebody and tell them to act more presidential? And how are you gonna have this debate about health care when you're promoting this promiscuous lifestyle, and then when people get a sexually transmitted disease, they want to go and demand that the the, the healthcare uh, slave that they're entitled to write them a prescription for their AIDS. That is that is a great racket. Now, now I'll always defend very promiscuous lifestyles, but that is a great racket. And you know, I have to ask on that point, Zoe. Do you think there there were two women in that debate? It was woman on woman. Do you sure. think that it that this exhibits Politicon's internalized misandry? Is this is this sexism? We we have two women on this panel, who by the way get paid seventy seven cents more on the dollar than we do. Is this is this you know, Politicon's hey, internalized sexism? If this is if this is true feminism, uh, this is a very strange way to to show it. There should have been total solidarity on that stage. That there should have been no contention whatsoever. You know. Speaking yeah. of feminism, speaking of strong women and strong women voices, we have to talk about a Beyonce studies professor. Now, uh, there is a New Jersey professor of women's studies who specifically teaches about Queen Bay, my cousin, Beyonce, and he recently tweeted three tweets, quote, if I see any Trump bumper stickers on the road today, my brakes will go out and I'll run you off the road. That's lovely. Will the Second Amendment be as cool when I buy a gun and start shooting at random white people? Or no, he uh, he is a white person himself, by the way. And quote, Trump is an effing joke. This is all a sham. I wish someone would just shoot him outright. Now, I know that you majored in Beyonce studies. Whatever happened to academic freedom? Why are they kicking this important voice out of the academy? Um, well, first off, I got to say, you know, Beyonce studies. Uh, if if there's a bigger example of the academic left hating the concept of employment. Uh, I can't think of it, right? But uh, yeah, you know, I've, I've actually had some conversations about this with people who say that, oh no, you know, if we start to let go of professors who say things like killing white people's okay, advocating white genocide, that's bad. Um, we're as bad as the left if we start doing that. And I, I no, I'm sorry, but no, uh, you know, <clears throat> not wanting actual racist and you know actual extremists who call for murdering white people or presidents around your children uh in positions of power i don't think is a you know being being as bad as the left or you know thought control and i i think it's crazy that most academics get away with as much as they do what an uneducated rube roaming millennial is. Read a blog, for goodness sake, will you? Get on Twitter. So, not only does this professor teach Beyonce studies and threaten to kill people, he also has a terrible grasp of punctuation and grammar. Uh, do, do you think it's time to shut down the colleges? Have the colleges just gotten out of control for employing these people? Oh, man, one thing, I'm not going to go on the, uh, the grammar Nazi angle, but I tell you what, man, this is, once again, Democrats with their true KKK colors on display. For some, when they disagree with us, first thing they want to do is they want to start shooting people. They want to blow up churches. 
They want to set things on fire. That's just who they are. This is what they do. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that at some point people will start to catch wind that this is what they are. This is what they always done. This is just what they do. Are you accusing the party that founded the KKK of racism? How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> I so? am. I do it all day. No, no. They do it all day. My Michael, you're wrong because like there was this magical switch, remember, when then like all the racists left. So that's right. it's yeah. That's, I oh, started on that, that switch. Yeah. Wait, Zoe, you don't you don't remember? You don't you, gosh, guys, guys, you have to read blogs. You have to start reading blogs. Yeah. It was a time in the 1960s, everybody got together as a big convention, and we all said, Okay, so now I am a Republican, I'm gonna be a Democrat, and you all you are now gonna be a Republicans. You do you not remember this? Oh man, Young yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of abracadabra in that. You know, it's like this uh, this sudden big switch. But I love the whole. Okay, here's this big exodus, this big switch. Okay, go Strom Thurmond. Who's who's who else is with me? And then as far as the big switch, well, if all the Democrats came over here, where did all the Republicans go? But Zoe, in, in order to refute the line about the party switching, you would have to read political history from the 1940s through the <laughs> 1990s. Yeah, that's a lot of reading to do. I can't. I haven't been prepared for that in college. I got to go get a job. Amanda, have the universities always been crazy? or are they getting particularly bad right now? They're peak crazy. The more money we put into them, they hit peak crazy. I mean, Beyonce, by the way, I mean, she is, so Al Gore is kind of like Joel Olstein for climate science. Beyonce is like literally Jesus on the left. Like she is <laughs> the second coming. She is it. Like they, ha it's not just him. Does that make me John the Baptist since I'm her cousin? Because that, that's great, that's not too bad. The voice of one crying out on honey, Facebook. Do you eat locust and honey? What's that taste like? <laughs> the, the, you know, the, this university thing is actually pretty, I, I, I actually take this pretty seriously. I was just back at Yale. That place has been destroyed in like five years. And part of it is, I think, the funding. Part of it is that the administration has been so weak about all of these student protests. But is there any light at the end of the tunnel? How are we supposed to fix this? Zoe, any thoughts? Uh, you know, the funny thing is, man, is that, you know, these institutions, they, they were Christian founded. And hey, you know, the snake got into the Garden of Eden. So it's like, you know, the devil can get, the devil's going to get into church. Yeah. And he got in there too. Preach. So, you know, and, and the thing is, is for some reason, there's this push to qualify yourself as a sophisticated and intellectual by disqualifying God. And all their whole pursuit is to get as far away from that as possible to show that they are of some secular uh, uh, intellectual powerhouse. And that's that's a shame, man. It's because it's 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 almost like you want to push all this intellect. They're, they're just really highly educated idiots. That is a really funny point because I did I did notice this at, at Yale. There was always this idea that if you weren't espousing the secular point of view or the materialist point of view, you were just some some rube from the hillbilly countries. But the other thing I noticed is that all of the smartest people I met there, all I mean the handful of really bright people I met were Christian or uh, Jewish or. Uh, or you know, Eastern Orthodox or Catholic, they all had that in common. They were all God believers. Now, roaming, you are not only a millennial; you're the roaming millennial. Have you noticed this problem on campuses? And uh, do you have any ideas on how to fix it? Well, I think I, university campuses are kind of like mini hubs for all progressive leftist policies, right? So anything that we might see in large society from the progressive left is, is amplified on university campuses. So, you know, that's true for any sort of social justice theories. And that's definitely true, like Zoe was saying, for things like secularism and this, you know, anti-religious stance that the left has been taking increasingly. And I think, you know, what is so interesting about, uh, it, about that is that you have a lot of university professors who are 
espousing, uh, you know, the value of secularism, which, you know, I don't think secularism might be inherently bad, but then if you, hey, let's turn and look at the philosophy departments or the history departments and, oh, look, Aquinas, St. Augustine, like all these great thinkers that you guys are teaching. All those old I, white I, men you mean, except for right, Augustine, those, I guess, was fairly swarthy, probably my skin color, but not Zoe's skin color, so he's bad. Sorry, go on. It, it's funny to me how, you know, they can have this sort of arrogance when it comes to people who are religious, who still hold to Judeo-Christian values. But, you know, when you actually look at the subjects that they would be teaching, so much of, you know, classical Western history and so much of what we hold to be Western values are, are built by people who believe the same things that a lot of the religious right do now. You know, speaking of St. Augustine and Thomistic theology, we have to talk about assisted suicide. This is, there's actually pretty good news on this front, even as the universities burn and the missiles fly over from Korea. There's a new study out of Tarleton State University, which finds that all 43 bills to legalize assisted suicide in 26 states this year have failed. That's a 100% failure rate, and that gives legalized suicide bills over the last 23 years a 99% failure rate. Roaming, why don't Americans want their doctors to kill them? It seems so, it seems so obvious. It's, it's weird. It's almost as if they don't want their doctors to kill them and they don't want their doctors to kill their loved ones. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. It's so attractive and appealing. Some of my loved ones uh, yeah. I might have a different opinion on. Amanda, does this represent a culture shift from a culture of death to a culture of life? Uh, no, unfortunately, I don't think so. Sad. Um, to quote a great man, yeah. sad. Yeah, um, these bills are going to keep on coming um, and... You know, once this legislation starts, I was looking up some some data on this, and in Belgium, for instance, they introduced a legislation in 2001, and then this it just kind of produced this slippery slope, this culture of death, where um, as of now, currently, one of every 50 deaths is uh, they're euthanized. I mean, that's insanity, and now they just legalize it for children uh, with chronic uh, illnesses or what have you. So, I mean, it, it's a, it's a really slippery slope. So let's just. You know, we got to push conservatism, obviously, to combat this, but it's really scary. And I don't think it's any great news to celebrate. I think we still have a long way to go. That's a great point. You know, but and it, it raises an interesting question why uh, this is different in America than it is in Europe. Uh, I'm sorry, Millennial, you were about to say something. Well, I was just, you know, going to say that it's, it is worrying that Europe is going this way, especially, you know, when, when it comes to children. But I yeah. think part of what might be positive about that, and we kind of see this in, in the recent very tragic Charlie Gard case is that when people in the U.S. see these kinds of things happening in Europe, where we see not only a government uh, kind of takeover of healthcare and choices that affect your right to life or you know living in general, I think it you know it, it might be a wake up call for people here to see like, hey, if we keep continuing down this road, this actually will be where it leads to, right? I mean, slippery slope argument is it isn't always crazy, and I think this is a very good example where. Uh, people who are advocating for these bills in the United States need to take a good look at, at Europe, what they're doing there. Like, do we want to be a society where we help children kill themselves, where we decide that, you know what, this experimental procedure for this dying baby, not really worth it. I don't really see it, right? Because, I mean, in my opinion, these these two things are very, they're very entwined, right? It all has to do with government and uh, it may be killing you. That is a great point. I mean, it, it seems to me that certainly the Anglosphere should break off of Europe, that Brexit, they should try to move the island. And maybe we could increase the space in between the United States and Europe as well, fill up. Maybe we need a little more global warming to fill up that Atlantic Ocean. Zoe, do you think that you should be able to kill your family members? Oh my goodness. 
Oh man, that's why. Why ask me that? What, what do you know about my family? Anyway, <laughs> what do you know that I don't know? What are we? But I, I think I think the base of this where, where it's really flawed is that I, I, I reckon the doctor has an oath to take that says do no harm. And if you if you're helping somebody to kill themselves, you're for surely doing them harm. And not only that, you know, I mean, we're talking about assisted suicide, man. That's a business, and the nature of business is to grow. So if you're going to make it a business of assisting people with suicide, you can convince anybody. It's like, you know, hey, man, I want to fatten up my pocketbook. But you got to be a Trump-level salesman to sell people death, to sell kill. I mean, you have to be. That is the art of the deal, folks. But but when you think about it, I mean, look, we got a culture right now of culture of suicide bombers. And they're taught from, from childhood that, hey, you kill yourself, you get, what, 72 virgins? You get some, you get some young boys, you know, that are as fresh as pearls. You know, so you can actually sell this on people. You can actually create a culture. Well, that way seems where, a lot more exciting yeah, than in some hospital room. Well, right. Older family Sorry. members can feel like they're a burden and even, you it's know, soil and green. have that culture. Yeah, when you have that culture of death, older family members can feel like they're a burden and then kind of go mm-hmm. forward with this kind of stuff even though they don't really want to. You know, so and that's a great point with uh, it being all about sales and business as well. Like, do we want the government in a position, especially now where we have, uh, you know, more government involvement in healthcare than we ever have in the United States? Do we want government in a position where it can actually maybe I don't want to say talk people into killing themselves, but be part Fashion of the decision healthcare. process? Exactly. That is going to objectively mm-hmm. save them money in the long term when we're yeah. talking about these serious illnesses. Like, I've, if you don't see a conflict of interest there, then I, I don't know what to say. That's absolutely that's right. Why, yeah. Go that's ahead. Why I don't see this. That's why I don't see this as the glass half full because at the same time we're pushing socialized medicine. So once you do that, these are coupled together. So once that's pushed, you know, one of these bills gets in there, and then you have this culture of death. We have rationed healthcare, and this stuff kind of takes off, and you do have that culture of death. Um, amplified. And at the core of this, there is a, the materialist worldview, the worldview that says that I don't have a soul, I'm not going anywhere, there isn't a purpose to my life that's outside of me, it's only a self-actualized purpose or a self-determined one, and in that case, then suffering is the worst thing imaginable, right? In that case, you could possibly even sell someone death, but we're not going to need any assisted suicide when the bombs start flying and that little dictator nukes us all into oblivion. <laughs> Panel, thank you for being here. Roaming millennial Zoe Rachel and Amanda Prestigiacomo. Now we have to come to the final thought. The big Kung Pao's chicken in the room is, that we have not yet discussed much is China. For years, the United States has leaned on China to pressure North Korea on its nuclear weapons program to evidently zero success. This week, China's vice commerce minister insisted, quote, We think the North Korea nuclear issue and China-U.S. trade are in two completely different domains. They aren't related. They should not be discussed together. Well, there's a new sheriff in town, and President Trump has promised to do just that, finally tie trade to North Korean nukes. Critics will shriek about the inefficacy of this tactic, but it couldn't possibly do worse than our previous quarter century of failed policy on the peninsula. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Come back tomorrow. We'll do it again.